1: Friday edition of PFTPM, Miles Simmons, Mike Florio here for the next hour. You know, they didn't get the memo properly circulated, Miles, as they have been parsing out the days on which different quarterbacks are going to consume the news cycle. Nobody got Friday. They took Friday off. There wasn't some bombshell from some quarterback. Like It's a nice rotation, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Ben Roethlisberger, this guy, that guy. They left Friday open this week. Good afternoon. How are you?
2: I'm doing all right, Mike. You know, I would be better probably if we did have some more quarterback news really to dive into here on a beautiful Friday afternoon. But, you know, that's fine. You know, no good news dumps, of course, but we'll, we'll, we'll manage, I think.
1: And I had to laugh when I said, how are you? Because we were just talking before the show. <laughs> when you ask someone, how are you? Do you really care what the person says? And is anything other than I'm fine a breach of etiquette? What a strange species we are that we are compelled to ask a question about which we give zero craps every time we encounter someone. So anyway, I, I, I can't even say I really meant it. It's just the, it's I hope you're doing well. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying when we ask that question as human beings, we really don't care. Well, I'm glad that
2: you want me to be doing well. I hope that you're doing well as well, Mike. And, uh, you don't. With that, you guess... don't.
1: You want me to die and you want to take over. I'm not stupid. <laughs> I'm not going to say that out loud on the air. <laughs> Get the old guy out of here. Move on. Float him on a sheet of ice. All right, let's have some fun today. We're already having some fun. Um, hey, you know, since you worked for the Rams for several years during the Sean McVay era, Peter and I were talking earlier today about the whole Jared Goff dynamic and, and how Sean McVay, and he gains nothing by, by trashing Jared Goff now. They were sending strong signals so no one would be stunned when Goff got floated on a sheet of ice to Detroit last month. But now there's nothing to be gained. But Peter made a great point. And, and we saw a little snippet of it in the one minute of sound before the show began. Sean McVay's got to start getting a little nervous. Because he has pissed away, sorry, London, a lot of Stan Kroenke's money between Todd Gurley and Jared Goff. You got some explaining to do to the billionaire who, even though there's plenty more where that came from, they don't like giving it away and getting nothing in return, Miles.
2: Oh, well, you didn't even mention Brandon Cooks, who they you know had to ship out for, um, for a pick a draft pick. I think it was a second rounder that they got for Brandon cooks last year. Look that that, they extended him before Brandon cooks had even taken a snap for the team in 2018, after they'd given up a first round pick form uh, to the Patriots. So I think you're right. They've got to be able to make sure that when they're giving away these contracts, that the players are actually going to be able to, to live them out. I mean, you can go back to Tavon Austin, who they also extended. Oh, Alec gosh. Ogletree, somebody else they extended. And then, you know, he they end up um, trading him to New York Giants. So, look, I, I think that a lot of times right now what the Rams have done is they've extended guys a year early, and a year earlier than they have needed to. And then, as it turns out, they really have not needed to do that at all because once they get to that fifth year, it's like, oh – I don't know guys. I think that maybe we need to move on. And so maybe they need to change their strategy. Maybe they don't, but I think that you're right. You got to stop wasting the money that comes out of the owner's pocket, because as deep as it is, you don't get to be a billionaire like Stan Kroenke by just giving it away for nothing.
1: And plenty of money spent on that complex in Inglewood that, that opened a year later than expected. I mean, it has cost him a lot of money to fulfill this vision of making the Rams the L.A. Rams. Again, there's still some unfinished business back in St. Louis that at some point will be worthy of time here if and when the lawsuit that is lingering reaches a verdict or some sort of an outcome. It could get even more expensive for Stan Kroenke. But Sean McVay's got to be on notice here. He may be the one getting a buyout before too long if they don't start making some better decisions about the talent that they are acquiring and paying an AFC West team that acquired some talent and then paid it last year in the form of receiver DeAndre Hopkins. That was the big trade the Cardinals made with the Texans. And it was a second round pick plus David Johnson. And David Johnson was kind, kind of sort of like a Brock Osweiler type thing because the Cardinals were stuck with a guaranteed salary and getting him off the books actually was a net benefit for the Cardinals. DeAndre Hopkins tweeting today, they said, I'm only worth a second rounder after he had a great first season with the Arizona Cardinals. There is no denying that DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best receivers in football. Look at the numbers that he had last year without the benefit of an offseason program, without the benefit of a preseason. He hit the ground sprinting for the Arizona Cardinals. And yeah, the Texans, of all the many things they've done in the past couple of years that make them look like idiots, this is probably close to the top of the list.
2: Uh, no doubt about it. I mean, you don't get rid of an elite wide receiver when you already have him paired with an elite quarterback. I, I no matter what picks are or whatever, I, I just, when you have that, and again, these guys were up 24 to zero on the Chiefs in the divisional round of the playoffs. And yes, they lost that game, but you can't tell me That With Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins, they still couldn't be an elite offense. And I think we saw, yes, Deshaun Watson is still a terrific quarterback and obviously one that a lot of teams around this league are trying to trade for at this point, whether or not Houston's going to do that still up in the air. But when you have somebody as good as DeAndre Hopkins and you pair him with a quarterback who is as good as Deshaun Watson, I I just don't understand why you would then say, "Eh, yeah, second round pick. Sure. Whatever. That's it. And then obviously he still goes and he's the best receiver in football. I know that there are arguments for other players, but I don't think there's anybody else that could have come down with the Hale Murray. So when you're talking about just a second round pick for Hopkins. Yeah. I I think the Cardinals fleeced, absolutely fleeced the Houston Texans on that.
1: Yeah. And I I think back to the deep dive that SI took regarding the Jack Easterby phenomenon, and and one of the reports contained within that excellent article the friction and the tension between Easterby and Hopkins. And there had been some longstanding tension between Hopkins and the organization, dating back to the whole inmates running the prison remark. Remember, Hopkins was ready to just go. He was done after that. And Easterby reportedly referring to Hopkins as that person. I mean, there was something there beyond, well... Do we really justify paying him the money that he wants? At the end of the day, he didn't get a whole lot of extra money from the Cardinals when they did the new deal. It looked good at first, like so many of these deals, Miles, they look good at first, then you start picking into the the, the details, and it's like, it's really not the bank heist that that the agents like to make it appear to be. But uh, and in this case, I think Hopkins negotiated it on his own, but just a huge, huge, huge blunder by the Texans, and they just they can't it out of their own way. This is proof positive they cannot find a way out of this path, and uh, they have to figure out what they're going to do with Deshaun Watson. And, and, and I continue to see people saying they're not going to trade him, they're not going to trade him, they're not going to trade him. Well, he's not showing up. I, th- there's no doubt. There, there's no counter, right? Of all the reports I've seen about Deshaun Watson's intent, Miles, maybe I'm missing something. Is there anyone who has said he's going to cave? Everyone who's reporting on this is saying he is done, he's not showing up, and I don't know whether the Texans just want to see if he really means it, or they think they can they can work some magic with him. I don't get it. Don't get it. And they're going to end up ultimately getting a lot less for Deshaun Watson than what they could if they just did it now.
2: Well, the weird thing is, I mean, as you were just saying, I, if Deshaun Watson has gone to David Cully, and the reporting was yesterday that he has, and said, I'm not playing for you. I'm not playing for this team. Then what exactly do they think is going to be the, uh, the outcome here? I I don't think players usually just go to their new head coach and say, I'm not playing for you. If they don't actually intend to follow through on that. So when I hear Deshaun Watson has said, yeah, I I went to David Cully, I'm not doing it. And obviously he didn't say that that was reported. Then I think that that is the ultimate outcome. He has basically all the cards, and he's saying, My services are what I'm withholding. And unless you trade me, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm just not playing here anymore. I'm done. And yeah, I don't think that there's been anything out there, Mike, that really counters that.
1: Yeah, uh, we'll see how it plays out. And it may not be that anything happens soon, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And whatever he has to pay back, He's ready to pay it back. Peter and I were adding up some of the pieces earlier today. You've got significant fines that will be paid. And under the new CBA from last year, those can't be waived. Used to be you can waive them. For a second contract, a guy under a second contract or beyond cannot waive those fines. That money has to be paid. Then there's the forfeited salary. Then there is the bonus money that would have to be paid back. Then there's the fact, the simple fact, Miles, that the contract tolls for a year. So if he sits out a whole year, comes back next year he's making 10 million next year the 10 million he was supposed to make this year not the 35 million in base salary that he has next year it all gets pushed back a year so there is a huge financial price to be paid but it just shows you that he means it and we'll see how aggressively he pushes to get out maybe he needs to get some advice from duke johnson and nick martin they got out hey how about don't be very good if you're not a very good football player That's how you get out of Houston. That's the problem. Deshaun Watson's too good of a football player. But today they moved on from running back Duke Johnson center Nick Martin. This is all about creating some cap space, saving some money. This is an analysis that teams go through every year. But this year, Miles, with the cap going down, it seems like instead of waiting until we get closer to the start of the season for some of these veterans to maybe get cut once they know they've got replacements, it's easy to spot the guys that, that really aren't justifying their salary Duke Johnson four or five million dollars when you look at what he's done in two years with the team no brainer it's no there's so many guys like that in the NFL and they're going to lose their jobs in the coming weeks we've seen it start and it's only going to continue
2: oh yeah I think especially when you're talking about Duke Johnson and the position that he plays at running back you can get pretty much anybody to come in and do that and I'm not one of these people who usually thinks running backs don't matter But I think unless you are on the most upper of upper echelons of players that are running backs, I'm talking about Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, and uh, Derrick Henry. I I don't know how many more people there are. Dalvin Cook, I guess, has an argument, too, that, that you can really say you are irreplaceable at this running back position right now. There are not many players in the league who can say that. And so, when you're talking about a guy of Duke Johnson's caliber, you can maybe get an undrafted free agent if your scouts are good enough to come in there and do exactly what Duke Johnson did give you, I think, what, 500 yards ish from scrimmage, a couple touchdowns receiving and rushing. Somebody else is going to be able to do that for you, Mike. And I think that if they're younger, they're obviously going to be cheaper. And hey, they might have a higher ceiling. And so, they can do it better for you. And that's why. Uh, This middle class right here of veteran guys, a lot of them, as you just said, Mike, they're going to be in trouble.
1: David Johnson is the name that I think is next up for whether or not the Texans make a move, even though he was part of that deal last year that brought a second round pick Uh, to town for Deandre Hopkins, 7.95 million in base salary for David Johnson in the final year of the second contract. The one that he signed with the Cardinals 2.1 million of the salary is fully guaranteed that vested last year. It was a great contract for Johnson because the full guarantees vested a year early. A lot of guys have contracts where the full guarantees would vest this March the guarantees for david johnson vested last march so they're looking at 2.1 million whether he's on the team or not subject to offset language i don't know that look johnson was was good not great last year but again so many young running backs out there that can be good not great so many young running backs that if you get lucky can be great this is this is a decision that the texans are going to have to make the old rip the name off the back of the jersey ignore the fact that he was part of the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Ignore the desire to make it look like it was a good deal. So we got two great years out of David Johnson or two pretty good years out of David Johnson. It's it's just a, a straight business decision that Nick Casario is going to have to make. And we have to remember the way Casario and the Patriots handled the running back position. They never had a guy who made a lot of money. They never had a workhorse. They never have one guy that you look to and say, he's the guy. And one of the reasons that teams do that is you never have to pay any one guy a big chunk of money. You can get by with cheaper options on a continuous basis.
2: Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, is, I mean, if I'm Nick Casario, I don't necessarily care all that much about what the DeAndre Hopkins deal was or wasn't. It wasn't me. I didn't do it. You know, I mean, I'd just quote Shaggy and say it wasn't me. So that's the only thing that I would really feel like if I'm Nick Casario and I'm looking at all these different guys who are, you know, ostensibly guys who could help you. But really, when you look at it, if they're at that particular salary, they're not going to help you all that much. And if you're talking about a running back, I think especially, there are other guys who are going to be able to do that for you, whether it's at the end of the draft, whether it's somebody cheaper in free agency. Heck, they might even bring uh, Dave Johnson back at a lower salary if they would really want to maybe toward the end of training camp there, if you say, man, we really could use a running back that could help us. I don't think that the Texans are going to be all that competitive anyway. So from that standpoint, Mike, I, I really just think that, yeah, at a certain point you got to move on, rip the bandaid off and and feel better about yourself maybe in that way.
1: Even though no quarterback filled the Friday news void, the stuff from Thursday was significant enough that it spills into Friday. KJ Wright Seahawks linebacker, who himself is, is possibly on the verge of leaving the Seahawks, appeared on NFL Network earlier today. Here he is on the prospect of the Seahawks trading franchise quarterback Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, KJ Wright's the guy who may be leaving via free agency. So yeah, he will be there as long as you, KJ. I, I, Miles, I, I want to run my theory by you. You don't have to agree with me. Trust okay. me. There will be no employment consequences if you disagree with me. I look oh, at it boy. in a very simple way. No, I'm serious. No. And I mean, I do mean that I didn't mean, how are you? I do mean speak freely on oh. any topic that you want.
2: I, oh, I, will someone you can, rid me of this meddlesome priest?
1: <laughs> you can, you can try. No, no, you can. Well done. You can do your research. Talk to anybody who has ever worked with his PFT Except for one or two. I am already, <laughs> all right. Uh, now, um, uh, I haven't even started drinking yet. Uh, Russell Wilson, here's my theory. When, well, yeah, it's, uh, I, I will be within the next 45 <laughs> minutes, but at least not right yeah. now. Me too. When I read the story in The Athletic yesterday, and I got to the end of it, and, and I, I really do believe. Anyone who can prove that they read every word of one of these hashtag long read articles should get a free T-shirt. I did read it all. And when I got to the end, I said, look, this is simple. If the Seahawks don't view Russell Wilson the way that Russell Wilson views Russell Wilson, trade him to a team that does. Because that team is going to give you an offer that's going to make you say, They're idiots for offering that much. Well, they're going to treat Russell Wilson like Patrick Mahomes. That's why they're offering that much. So to me, this is a no-brainer. You either are going to treat this guy like he wants to be treated and regarded and have the offense run through him, or you're going to take the best offer from someone who will treat him that way, who, who will listen to his ideas on how to improve the offense, and who will have the offense run through him. Whether it works or not, different issue. For now... Russ clearly wants to be somewhere where he's going to get that same treatment that we've seen with Patrick Mahomes, where you're the offense and you're the guy that stirs this drink.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, I also did read uh, to the end of the athletic story. So if they're giving away athletic t-shirts or hats, I don't know. I guess I'll take one. But I think the biggest thing that I also came away with from that was that if the Seahawks really do think that Russell Wilson can't be that guy that elevates um that elevates the offense to a level where he is a top three QB, right? And that seems to be the way that Russell Wilson sees himself. Like I guess this is a roundabout way of me saying that, yeah, I agree with you that they should be able to trade him because look, somebody's gonna give them three first-round picks for Russell Wilson and maybe something else, right? I, I, I would do that if that's the way I see Russell Wilson as somebody who is an elite quarterback. Yes, I give away three. Three round picks immediately because those guys don't grow on trees and the simple fact of the matter is if you do give away three first round picks and you think russell wilson's going to elevate you that much then that means you're going to be in the postseason probably every single year and those first round picks are going to be i don't know maybe 20 at best to 32 in theory and at that point, a lot of a lot of football people, a lot of GMs are saying, well, you know, those are basically second round picks anyway, because you're kind of past that really elite talent that comes at the top of the first round. And if you have a good enough scouting department, then in rounds two through seven, you should be able to pick up guys who are still going to be able to help you and make sure that you have the support around the QB that you need and the type of defense that you would need in order to still win ballgames. So... Yes, if the Seahawks really don't view Russell Wilson as this elite guy, then, yeah, they probably should trade him because, like you said, they're going to get a king's ransom back.
1: Here's the bottom line. They've had Russell Wilson since 2012. They haven't been past the divisional round since 2014. So it's not like they're breaking up a juggernaut franchise here. And, and uh, everyone's got a price. I used to think Russell Wilson was untouchable. I don't believe that he is because the one thing we're not hearing from anyone, is there's no way in hell that the Seahawks will entertain trading him. That clumsy message we're getting from the Texans is not coming from the Seahawks. They're going to listen. They may not say yes, but they're going to listen because they know, Miles, it's inevitable. If it doesn't happen this year, it's happening next year. If it doesn't happen next year, it's happening the year after. It is inevitable. And Pete Carroll, presumably, at some point, after dealing with this push and pull, for a certain period of time, throws his hands in the air and says, I'm getting too old for this stuff. Right. And, and he is, (laughs) I I hope to still be working full time and vibrant and bouncing around before a football game. Like he does pushing 70, but at a certain point, you just say enough's enough. God didn't want to be here. Why are we going through this charade? God didn't want to be here. Let's go. Let's get what we can and let's go. We want the guys who want to be here. And I can see Carol kind of working himself into that mindset. Once he recognizes it's inevitable.
2: Well, the the other thing, too, I mean, you just mentioned they haven't been past the division round since 14. When they were doing that, when they were getting past the division round, the offense was different, right? It was really, really predicated on the run game, and we've heard Pete Carroll say that he wants to get back to that, and that's why they've hired Shane Waldron from the Rams. They think that they can import some of that stuff that the Rams have been doing on the ground and winning games there. So if that's the case, then who's to say that maybe – The Seahawks couldn't go get another young quarterback, somebody that they can groom and mold and shape in whatever way they want and still win games if their offense is running the ball the way that they used to back when the Legion of Boom was in its full bloom and they were winning games primarily with defense, but also they were controlling the ball and everything. And I I think Russell Wilson is good enough that they don't have to play that way, but I mean, in that athletic article, what they were talking about was look when they really started unleashing Russell Wilson and letting Russ Cook and all that, then there were games where he started turning the ball over. And when he's turning the ball over like that, and you are losing games because you're not controlling the game, then that's really gonna uh, tick Pete Carroll off, right? And so at that point, yeah, I, I think he might be feeling like I'm getting too old for this. I know how I want to win ball games here in Seattle. I know it because we've done it before. And, you know, maybe they just say, look, if somebody's going to give us this King's ransom, then let's go and do it, Mike.
1: Yeah. So the four teams for which Russell Wilson is willing to waive his no trade clause, courtesy of his agent, Mark Rogers, who stunningly went on the record and said, Russell doesn't want to be traded. He wants to play for the Seahawks. But, but here are the four teams he played for the Raiders, the Cowboys, the Bears and the Saints. Which one, if any of them stands out to you as the team that could get this done if they really want to get it done?
2: the Raiders and it's because they have a quarterback that they can send back who is already a starter. He's already established. And I don't think Derek Carr Carr's bad quarterback. I really don't, but I think he's above average. And if John Gruden, Mike Mayock think, that Russell Wilson is an elite quarterback, then that's why you make the move. I, I think, look, if if Russell Wilson is the guy you think you're missing for your offense to unlock what it could be, especially in the red zone, where they've had problems over the last couple of years, and it's why they are up there a lot of time in yards, but points they just don't score enough of them, then if he's the difference in the red zone, then yeah, maybe you go do it. But those other teams, I mean, the Cowboys, you'd have to send back Dak. And honestly, I think that, that could be on a trajectory to be at least as good as Russell Wilson. If not better, we'll have to see how he is after uh, the injury, the bears, what are they going to give you? I mean, except for draft picks that are probably going to be mediocre and then the saints, I mean, they're also a very good team, but they don't necessarily have something to give back to you unless maybe they were to sign Jameis Winston and then they ship you him. But I would maybe rather have Derek Carr than Jameis Winston. And I kind of can't believe that's coming out of my mouth, but if you're Pete Carroll and you want to take care of the football then that, I think, would be a little bit more appealing, Mike.
1: The, the Bears could do the old Henny Youngman, take my wife, please, line with Nick Foles. He's under contract. Yeah. Other than that, they, there's no quarterback they can give them. One thing about Dak Prescott, I, I think it's impossible for the Cowboys to send Dak Prescott to the Seahawks because they'd have to apply the franchise tag again. They'd have to get him to sign it, and then they'd be trading a contract one year, $37.68 million, with the knowledge that next year, the only way to keep him around against his will, franchise tag fifty four point two five million. So I think Prescott just walks away as a free agent, and the Cowboys get a compensatory draft pick next year. Maybe they agree to give whatever compensatory pick they get for Dak Prescott to the Seahawks as part of this deal. But the other side of this too, because I, I I agree, if it's the Raiders, send Derek Carr. If it's the Saints, send Taysom Hill. I'd be intrigued by Taysom Hill if I was the Seahawks, given the kind of offense Pete Carroll wants to run. Cause now you got a guy who will run the ball and you got a guy who can throw some explosive passes down the field. If the running game is softening up the defense, but, but I don't want to get tied to this notion. I've seen some people point this out that they'll only do a deal. If as part of the deal, they're getting a quarterback who they can plug in. You can find other quarter. You don't have to, you can't, you don't have to say we're only doing a trade for Russell Wilson with a team that can guarantee us a suitable quarterback. You can do a three team deal. You can cut a deal with another team. They're capable of spinning multiple plates if they want to get this done. The only problem is where do you go? What do you do? And none of these teams for whom Russell Wilson is willing to play are high enough on the draft order that that would be a solution. You know, If it's the Jets, hey, it's perfect. Perfect. Get second overall pick get a quarterback, get a second overall pick in Sam Darnold, get a left tackle and get a quarterback. There's all sorts of different things you can do. That's the fly in this particular ointment for me, Miles, the idea that none of these teams is in position to give the Seahawks the kind of first-round pick that lets them address the quarterback issue with one of the better guys in this year's draft class. And the idea of maybe getting lucky with a Russell Wilson in round three, several spots after a punter was drafted, that's not going to strike twice in the same lifetime.
2: Yeah, probably not. That's also not the question you asked me. So if I had known that I could make three team deals, then I maybe would have said something like that. Because if I'm the Jaguars, right, that, that's intriguing to me. Maybe I would rather have Russell Wilson than Trevor Lawrence. Now, I don't know that Urban Meyer... But he, doesn't, that want Jaguars, going that route. But
1: he doesn't want the right. Jaguars. But he doesn't want the Jaguars. That's a problem. Right. So then do you involve the Jaguars with, say, the Raiders, right?
2: And then maybe the Raiders will send Derek Carr there and maybe to that's something that's intriguing really. yeah uh, or
1: Derek Carr to Carolina and the eighth yeah. overall pick goes to Seattle right the the, the <laughs> Panthers clearly looking for an upgrade and I, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole but I had seen some scattered musings this week that the Raiders are thinking about extending Derek Carr's contract I wonder if At some level, that's just part of an effort to boost the perception of Derek Carr to the extent that he will be traded to the Seahawks as part of a Russell Wilson package or to someone else to raise better funds, better draft pick funds that would go to Seattle. Because that was just this weird random thing that came up for no reason at all, because clearly if Russell Wilson falls into their laps, they're going to say, see you later, Derek Carr, this is Russell Wilson.
2: Yes, exactly. And it was interesting seeing some of the reporting out of uh, Las Vegas and saying, like, nah, cool off on that. Because, I mean, at at this point, if you're the Raiders, why exactly do you need to extend Derek Carr? I don't necessarily know that you do. So I think the other thing you kind of start seeing, too, out of Las Vegas is some reporters are saying, hey, this guy is a top-10 QB. You know, he's playing like a top-10 QB. And, uh, I mean, maybe – You know, I don't know that I would say that. I think that there's kind of an easy list to make of 10 quarterbacks that you would take before you would take Derek Carr. And again, I don't think Derek Carr is a bad quarterback, but I think he's probably just above average. Right. So even if the stats maybe say, oh, Derek Carr is this top 10 guy. I I just I'm not buying it. Sorry. So, yeah. But I think that might be another one of those things to maybe boost the perception of it.
1: One of the things I've learned over the years about top 10 QBs, when you start identifying them in a vacuum and then you add them up, you've got 20 of them. So that's kind of the <laughs> way it works currently in the NFL. Uh, speaking of making numbers work, just real briefly on our way out the door of this segment, there was a report from Sports Business Journal that the NFL and Disney have struck a deal to keep Monday Night Football on ESPN with some games on ABC, with ABC in the Super Bowl rotation. The NFL quickly denied it in fact we got the email here from brian mccarthy the nfl spokesman the report is incorrect and as we do not negotiate through the media there will be no further comments so they don't seem to be pleased the report got out in sports business journals closing bell an excellent roundup of sports business news from the day they they, they factor in the nfl's denial and they they appropriately equivocate that the deal's not done, but it's moving in that direction. And you know, when you start doing the math, when you start putting the numbers together, and you look at what ESPN offered and Disney and ABC at two point four billion a year, and the NFL was at three point five. Just the mere fact of throwing the Super Bowl into the mix—that's a very, very valuable property. I, I, I'm starting to think two, two seven, two eight is where this is going to come in once it's said and done. But um, however, wherever, whatever. I'm not doubting the reporting of John Orend of Sports Business Journal. He put it out there that it's done. What surprises me is, as of a week ago, Disney, ABC, ESPN seemed like it was going to be the straggler. Now they've gotten to the front of the line. They're the only entity about whom there's a report suggesting that they're getting a deal done. Again, I, I don't know where any of this stands. I don't know what NBC's situation is with the NFL. As I've said time and again, they only wake me up for the unimportant meetings, but I was surprised that this came out today suggesting that something is close or if not close already done between the NFL and Disney on an extension of the Monday Night Football franchise.
2: Yeah, well, the other thing, too, I mean, like you said, that, that Super Bowl, getting a Super Bowl on back on ABC for the first time in over a decade, that is something that is extremely valuable because it's the thing that is the most watched program, all over, not just in the United States, but all over the world. So when you're talking about that, I mean, you're talking about all kinds of eyeballs, and nobody really watches live anything Anymore. So if ABC gets into that game, then that automatically elevates them as one of these three letter networks. So I-, I can certainly understand why they're pr- uh, producing a lot of value on that.
1: And, and we need to get to break, but I need to make one more point because I'm trying to anticipate when gambling will be in full bloom, when it'll be in 35 to 40 states, and when we will be in a position where when we are sitting at home watching a game, We are seeing and hearing exactly what is happening in real time from the stadium to allow us to lift up the cell phone device and punch in a bet on the outcome of the play, run versus pass, whatever we may do. As long as there's any delay, you can't do it. The moment they wipe out the delay, you can do it. And, Miles, look no farther than the conversation we're having right now in real time. The technology is there. I did football night in America from home all year long with zero delay. The technology's there, the incentive is going to be there to get it into every home. Once that happens, the gambling revenue is going to explode and the NFL revenue is going to explode and the value of the TV deals is going to explode.
2: Sure is. I don't know. I don't know how else I can uh, disagree with you on that, but I can not The betting part that's going to be really interesting. It's going to be really really interesting because I don't know if coaches are going to like that.
1: No, they're not going to like any of it, but it's going to make them a hell of a lot richer, too. It's going to make everyone associated with the sport more money because more money is going to flow through everyone's coffers as people legally wager all that money that was illegally wagered all the all those years and the nfl wouldn't get a piece of it it's going to start flowing through legitimate means and uh, the nfl those teams are going to be worth eight nine ten billion dollars by the end of the decade i believe all right let's take a break we continue to take a look at specific teams off-season storylines denver broncos up next when this friday edition of pftpm continues right after this
0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Denver Broncos trying desperately to have a contending team. It's been a long few years since they won the Super Bowl five years ago now Super Bowl 50 Von Miller was the MVP Peyton Manning walks off into the sunset and it all goes to crap after that frankly um, you know quarterback's been the problem and John Elway no longer the GM he fell upward to whatever position he has now and I mean I, I love John Elway I got a ton of respect for John Elway he's out he's out he'll be out after this year George Payton now takes over should they pursue an elite quarterback or try to build an elite defense miles your thoughts
2: uh the the quick answer is yes i mean you know obviously you should try to build as many elite things as you possibly can but and i think yes obviously if deshaun watson's available as the reporting has been that they will pursue him they should pursue him because that's not somebody that just comes becomes available at any point uh in time and you can just go out there and get but but i think at least with Vic Fangio and who knows what's going to happen with Vic Fangio after this season, he probably is one of those guys that should start the season with his seat warmer on. Uh, he's one, he, you You think that Vic Fangio should be able to build a pretty darn good defense because he has that reputation as being one of the better defensive coordinators in the league over the last, however many years. So at a certain point, I think you need to expect a little bit more from Vic Fangio's defense. Now, that being said, if you get the elite QB, then yeah, the elite defense is a little bit easier to build because you're already going to be scoring points. So if you're scoring points, then that means that other teams are going to need to pass. It makes it easier to pass rush and all those different things that come with that. So, I mean, yeah, you should try to get the QB, but you also need to be able, I think at this point in Vic Fangio's tenure to say, we are taking steps to being an elite defense because we have this guy as our head coach. And we know that he can build defenses like that, Mike.
1: Yeah, and I agree with you, but they need a long-term answer at quarterback. They need something to stabilize the franchise. That's the problem, and they haven't had that in a very long time. Peyton Manning was a four-year stopgap. Jay Cutler was there for a little while before they threw him overboard. They really haven't had, since John Elway, a long-term, clear-cut, this-is-our-guy type of a quarterback, and uh, they, they need that. Now, it's one thing to say we need it. It's another thing to say we've got it, and uh, You know, may- maybe they're a few years away from that. But for now, they consider an upgrade over Drew Locke, who I thought was going to be better than he's been. He's had durability issues. He's had uneven performances. Do you think he'll be the starting quarterback week one? Yes or no?
2: Mm, yes, because I don't think that the Broncos are going to get Deshaun Watson. And I think even if they were to draft a QB, I mean, they've got the ninth overall pick. And I think that they probably can take one of those guys of the four behind Trevor Lawrence. I think it still might behoove uh, the Broncos to start a guy like Drew Locke, who at least has some experience. You know, he can get the ball down the field. He can manage the game at least for you. And I was one of those guys too that I thought Drew Locke had some traits. I thought that he'd be better than he has turned out to be so far. But as we sit here today, what is it, February 26th, I will say I think Drew Locke is going to be the starting quarterback week one, Mike.
1: I don't think he will be because you have to factor in the new personality and George Payton, who is running that team. And it's not like Vic Fangio is an offensive guy. So, you know, if if, if your coach is an offensive guy, then the, the coach is going to make the call on who the quarterback is going to be. I think in this circumstance, the new GM will have that that sway. And I think he's going to find someone who at least will compete with Drew Locke and quite possibly win the competition. All right, let's do our one guy in, one guy out segment. We've done that for every one of these teams so far. Miles, give me somebody who you think the team in Denver will be adding.
2: Okay. I think it will be, I really wanted to say one of those four QBs, but because who knows what's going to happen in the top 10, I just won't and I'll be a little bit safer, but I'll go with Leonard Floyd. who's an edge rusher, obviously coming off of a great year with the Rams at 10 and a half sacks, but he played for Vic Fangio for the first few years of his career in Chicago. I think especially if the Broncos decide to move on from Von Miller, which I kind of think that they will, then you will probably see that that slot open up for somebody who is like a Leonard Floyd who can come in there and rush the passer very well. Now, who knows if Vic Fangio is going to be there beyond 2021, but I still think that Leonard Floyd can get things done for them and would be good to pair with somebody on the opposite side like a Bradley Chubb, Mike. All
1: right, I've got two that, uh, that I've got in mind, both on the offensive side of the ball. There was a report earlier today, or actually it was last night from Woody Page at the Denver Gazette, that... The Broncos have actually already talked to Ryan Fitzpatrick, which would be tampering, but the NFL doesn't care about tampering until it does. Bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, let him compete with Drew Locke, or maybe he becomes the relief pitcher. You know, I think the right way to use Ryan Fitzpatrick is to know when to put him in and when to get him out, because he can do great things in appropriate doses. The moment he's the week-in and week-out guy, it's just a matter of time before Fitz Magic flips to Fitz Tragic. But if you are just surgical in, all right, let's use him. Okay, good. Now let's go back to the other guy. All right, wait. Well, uh, Let's use him like Brian Flores did. That's why it would be perfect if he stays in Miami. But now Fitzpatrick thinks he should be a starter. And if he doesn't find a gig like that, maybe something like Denver would make sense. Another guy that I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up in Denver, Alejandro Villanueva because he's got that tie to Mike Munchak, the offensive line coach, and the Steelers aren't expected to sign Villanueva because they've got serious cap issues. All right, give me a guy that you think is going to be out.
2: I'll say Philip Lindsey, running back. And, you know, it, it's been interesting with him because he was good for his first two years, but he's one of those guys at running back that because he's an undrafted free agent, I almost think it works against him a little bit. It, he's a restricted free agent right now, but that means that if the Broncos give him the original round tender, then they don't necessarily receive any compensation back. They can match the contract. But why would you want to, if you're the Broncos, when as you did a few years ago, you didn't even draft Philip Lindsay. He comes in and he rushes for a thousand yards. I think that they've already proven as a franchise that they can go out, get a running back, whoever that happens to be. They do have Melvin Gordon. Who's facing a little bit of a suspension there, but at the same time, I just don't necessarily see why you would need to bring Philip Lindsay back because of the position he plays and because of the production that you can get elsewhere, Mike.
1: It's a shame because he's a great kid, great person, great story, undrafted from Denver, lived with his parents when he first got on the team, beat all odds, and just was so good they, they couldn't deny him a spot on the roster. But now several years in, there's somebody else who comes along, and that's the nature of the running back position. That's, that's the problem. And you know, Christian McCaffrey told us a few weeks ago, Hey, he just wanted to run the football when he was a kid. And I think that attracts the better athletes. You, just, you want to be the center of attention. You want to be the guy who goes out and shows what you can do. The problem is when you get to the NFL, you look around and you say, I wish I would have done something else because you don't get to play very long you know, unless you're a superstar and you're never going to get paid. Even at the highest end, what you get paid is going to pale in comparison to quarterbacks and other players that are regarded as more rare and more valuable. All right. I think that Von Miller will be gone. I don't think they're going to pick up his option. I don't think they're going to work out a different deal. I think he'd like to, to move on to a team where, where he could maybe contend for another Super Bowl championship. And this is one of the reasons why I believe J.J. Watt doesn't have a deal yet. Because even if you are comfortable with the number that you could put together for J.J. Watt, and we kind of know now the, the range, the tighter range of the salary cap, 180 to 183 is the maximum range. If you sign J.J. Watt and Vaughn Miller's available the next day, and you think, man, we could have used that money on Vaughn and we would have rather had Vaughn. And let's just see who else is out there. I just, you want to know who else is out there. You want to know what doors are open and what doors are closed before you close the door on other people than the guy that you're signing. And I think Miller's gonna be available. And also I think it's a no-brainer, they're gonna cut Jeff Driscoll backup quarterback who's making like two and a half million. That money's gonna get spent elsewhere. The question is, will the 18 million for Vaughn be spent elsewhere? But I just, even though it's great, he's been there for a long time, it, it just feels to me like it's over.
2: Yeah. And, and uh, unfortunately, I think that's, that's the case. You just don't know how healthy Von Miller's going to be coming off that ankle injury that kept him out for the entire 2020 season. And even though you still think that he can be a threat, I think he's probably better in a situation where he's a pass rushing specialist, because even that last season where he was healthy in 2019, he had only eight sacks now only eight sacks. Yes, is a thing, but when you look at Von Miller's career, he's always been a double digit sack guy until basically last year. So, I think that at that point, you probably, it might be best for both sides if Von Miller goes elsewhere. And look, if he can be one of these guys that becomes maybe a mercenary, he goes down to the Bucks, goes to Kansas City. I don't know, maybe the LA Rams take another flyer on a guy. He could be somebody that is the difference for a championship team.
1: Going into that 2019 season, Peter King had done the math. He was halfway to Bruce Smith and, you know, it it looked like he was going to get there. And then all of a sudden the sack production dried up under Vic Fangio. And then last year, zero sacks, zero sacks because zero games. So he's got a long way to go to reestablish himself, but he's still fairly young and he's highly talented. And I just think that if I'm him, it's just, it's just time. It's time to get a change of scenery. It's time to get into a different system. It's time to try to get a Super Bowl win. It's time to take a break when we return. The New York Giants will take a look at their offseason plans and who they'll be keeping and getting rid of when PFTPM continues on this Friday afternoon right after this. New York Giants almost made it to the playoffs last year, but didn't. Far from a winning record, trying to build something in the right direction. Joe Judge, better than I thought the team would be in his first season as the head coach. Daniel Jones, the franchise quarterback that they hope becomes the guy that the jury is still out as he enters year three. What are the areas that you would identify miles as the biggest spots where the giants need to improve this year?
2: Honestly, I feel like you could just put a big umbrella over it and just say offense. I mean, when you finish, you know, 31st in the league in points scored and you're 31st in the league in yards gained, you just, you got to do something to improve that offense. And I think that they will be better just from the return of Saquon Barkley. I mean, that obviously is going to have a a dramatic effect on the offense just because of what he can do as a running back and how special he is as a running back. But man, I mean, whether it's improving a wide receiver, you got to get more production out of the tight end spot, I think, as well you just have so many different issues that you probably have to address on offense because they weren't bad on defense. I mean, they weren't terrible. They, they finished in the top 10, I think in points a lot. So there are pieces that I think you've got on defense, but offensively, those guys with Jason Garrett have really got to figure it out because if you don't, then you're not going to win ballgames.
1: I think back to the two times the Giants have won the Super Bowl this century: 2007, 2011. What did they have? They had a great defensive line. They had a great offensive line. That, that and that, you know, it's not nearly as sexy as the skill position players, but that is where you lay the foundation for your championship team. And we've seen it with the Giants multiple times: the offensive line. They need, and it, I know it's not easy. You, you, you never know how guys are going to pan out. Sometimes guys work. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you spend a lot of money on a guy in free agency and he plays well. Sometimes he doesn't, but uh, that's where they need to keep focusing on improving the team. They've got Saquon Barkley. They've got the quarterback that they believe in offensive and defensive lines. The better those get, the better the giants will be. And they're fortunate to be in the worst division in football, where the path to the postseason isn't nearly as fraught as it would be elsewhere. All right, give me a guy that you see the Giants adding this year, either via free agency or the draft or trade.
2: I think Curtis Samuel is somebody that could maybe fit that mold. And it's because... He was one of the last draft picks from David Gettleman's class in 2017 that he got there in Carolina right before he was fired, then over the summer. And now, of course, he is the general manager of the New York Giants, another guy that maybe should be thinking about uh, the seat being warm under him. They've only had 15 wins since he's been there. But I think Curtis Samuel is the kind of guy that can be a dynamic offensive player in the right system. You saw last year, you know, he's taken some snaps at running back there with the Panthers. He's a good receiver, especially was good on third downs, but they really need somebody to come in and elevate that offense a little bit. And frankly, I think that the top tier wide receivers, you know, your Chris Godwin's of the world, Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson, I don't know that they're going to be available. They may get franchise tagged, or if I'm them, I don't know how much I want to go play for the Giants unless they're offering me a ton of money. So I think Curtis Samuel's one of those guys that could be maybe that second tier that you convince yourself into saying, yeah, he's a really good wide receiver, and he can help us, Mike.
1: I think somebody is going to look at A.J. Green and say, why not? Why, why can't we get him back to who he was? He entered the league in 2011. You know, if he's healthy – He can be very productive. Last year, it was strange. There were a lot of balls thrown his way, but only 45% completion rate for all of his targets. He had over 100 targets last year with the Cincinnati Bengals. But as the Giants, and I know this contradicts what I said earlier, but you've got other means for improving your offensive and defensive line. I think that A.J. Green could be a value signing in free agency. The money's not going to be there. It's not going to be the kind of contract that other free agent receivers will be getting. And who knows how much is going to be available to them With so many young receivers coming up through the draft every year because all those seven-on-seven camps, the quarterbacks are getting the reps, the receivers are getting the reps, and better receivers are coming in all the time. It's becoming like the running back position. You don't have to pay a ton of money for a veteran receiver. You just go draft a guy. Just draft a guy. But I think they can get a good deal with A.J. Green, and maybe he can add something to that offense by way of experience, leadership, maturity. I'm kind of intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by A.J. Green generally. Generally. But of all the teams that we've been looking at, this is the first time it kind of stood out to me. that Maybe that makes sense for A.J. Green this year. All right, give me a guy that you think they're going to get rid of.
2: Well, I think it's going to be Dalvin Tomlinson. And I think that they would probably like to keep him. I mean, he's a solid young player on that defensive line, somebody that they picked previous regime, but somebody that the Giants picked in 2017. But I think that they're probably only going to be able to keep one of him or Williams. And especially if they tag Williams, you're just tying up a lot of money there on that defensive line. And down Tomlinson, I think is just somebody that's going to be able to go somewhere else, be a guy who can stuff the run, do a good job with that. Also maybe push the pocket from the middle a little bit. He did have three and a half sacks uh, last season. So he's somebody I think that probably can go elsewhere and get paid more than he will. If he sticks with the giants, Mike.
1: Nate Solder told ESPN.com this week that he wants to come back. He opted out last year. The Giants will be cutting Nate Solder. There are very few moves that I feel highly confident about. They don't need him, especially at a 10 million dollar salary and a 16 million dollar cap number. Now, they'll take a cap charge to move on from him, but I think he'll be gone. And I think Golden Tate's going to be gone too. You know, whether teams have cap issues or not, this is this is an opportunity to just look at your entire roster and say, "Where are we getting the bang for our buck?" because guys are going to get squeezed out dollar for dollar we get better deals elsewhere let's take a break when we wrap up who's going to be on hard knocks this year there's a handful of teams that can be forced to do it one of them we think is going to be more than happy to take the assignment we'll be right back
3: the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters
0: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
1: Several years ago, the NFL crafted a formula for determining the teams that can be forced to do hard knocks because a lot of teams. Don't want to do it. And if I recall correctly, and there's a chance I don't, the only teams that are exempt are teams that have been to the playoffs in either the last two years, teams that have a new head coach, or teams that have done the show in the last 10 years. This year's list of teams that can be forced to do it there's five Cowboys, Giants, Panthers, Cardinals, Broncos, Cowboys. Cowboys, as Shereen Williams said when we were discussing it on our PFT. Text chain. They love to do it, and the NFL loves to have them. And uh, Mike Mike McCarthy may not like it, but Mike McCarthy doesn't get a vote. If Jerry Jones wants it, Jerry Jones is getting it. Miles. Oh, no doubt
2: about it. And frankly they're probably the most compelling team on that list. I mean, look, I I would want to see what's going on with Dak Prescott's recovery. I would want to see how they're dealing with Zeke Elliott. I would want to see how they're dealing with a, a defense that was just atrocious last year and how to get that better in training camp. So, I think that they're a pretty compelling story, and they would be anyway because of Jerry Jones and all that. But even on the field, I think that they are probably the most compelling team out of all of those teams that are eligible for it.
1: If Hard Knocks were a true reality show, and it isn't, it's an infomercial. If it were a true documentary (laughs) created and produced by an outside entity, and it isn't, it's an infomercial. The team that I would want this year without question is the Houston Texans. Because we sense what's coming with Deshaun Watson and the Jack Easterby angle. And they aren't going to volunteer to do it this year with all the stuff that's going on. But that's the team I'd love to get to the bottom of the rabbit hole and see what's going on there. But they'd never give the kind of access necessary to tell us the story because they don't want that story told, Miles.
2: Of course not. But to be a fly on the wall, even for that conversation that I assume was on Zoom between David Cully and then Deshaun Watson, where he's telling him, hey, man, I'm not going to play for you. Sorry. I know that you thought that I would when you signed up for this job. But you said that in your press conference, but nope, not happening. Just to see David Cully's reaction. I think that will be really fun.
1: I have no hacking skills, but my God. The thought of being able to infiltrate some of these Zoom calls, that would be the one. You wouldn't have to be a fly on the wall because, you know, there's some bad things about being a fly. The good thing is you get to see what's going on. We'll see what's going on all weekend long and we see you back here next week. Enjoy the weekend.
3: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble.